Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Freedom Talks. Uh, it's Brady with you, as always, and today I'm joined by Molly Ripberg and Nicole Gardner. Molly is a physical therapist, an LSVT big Parkinson's trained therapist, and Nicole is a physical therapist as well. Uh, she is dry needle trained, and both of them are trained in respiratory rehab, and uh, that falls in today with our topic of long haulers syndrome. Um, I'll have the PTs explain what long haulers is uh, right now. And so Molly, if you could kind of give us an overview of what long haulers is. Yes. So um, there's a couple different terms that have been floating around um, the internet and on the news. Um, it's also known as long COVID or continued COVID, post-COVID syndrome, or post-acute COVID syndrome. Basically what it is, is someone who has tested positive for COVID um, that continues to have symptoms um, lingering or actually that come back um, with after six weeks after their initial diagnosis. Um, so the problem with this is that um, a lot of times they're no longer testing positive for COVID, um, but they're still having the symptoms similar to COVID. Um, so um, just kind of throwing it out there. Um, the reason why this is kind of, COVID has been kind of deemed a tricky virus um, is that some aren't aware that they're infected. So about 30% of the population are asymptomatic, um, which means they show no signs or symptoms of COVID, um, but are have infected with it. Um, and that's, um, that's tricky because a lot of times um, they don't even know that they have it. And then maybe four, five, six weeks down the line, all of a sudden they're like, I have this persistent cough that like I can't get rid of, um, or I'm tired, or body aches. And it wasn't necessarily that they had a real severe case of COVID to begin with. Like they may not have even known they had it, um, but now they're dealing with kind of long-term symptoms. So, I mean, so part of the reason we want to do this podcast is right is a little bit of awareness. Um, there have been some speculating in the news and things like that, that there could be long-term symptoms of, of COVID. And that was, you know, the fear of everybody getting it. Um, and a lot of the population obviously ended up getting COVID, uh, big infection rates, global pandemic. We've been locked down for over a year uh, in, in some areas of the country um, and around the world. And so uh, how prevalent is uh, the chance that you get these long hauler uh, syndrome symptoms or uh, these like post-COVID symptoms um, if you've had COVID? Um, so currently, and this has been changing as people are talking with their doctors more often about what they're feeling long-term, but the current estimates is about 30% of people who have been diagnosed with COVID have these long-term lasting symptoms. Um, and that's out of an estimated 32 million people, particularly within the U.S. who have had it. Had it. Um, so that's a pretty big number, and it keeps on rising as people are starting to notice these changes aren't going away and other issues are starting to come up too. Um, as Molly had mentioned, there's a lot of unknowns with this, and that's where um, the variability in people explaining these to, the symptoms to their doctors as to um, where it's coming from as well. Uh so I guess if I'm sharing personal experience, right, um, I had COVID 
kind of middle of like everything going on. Um, wasn't at the beginning necessarily, wasn't at the tail end of things kind of where we hope we are now. But, um, you know, the, one of the biggest things was like, I just like got up and I was dizzy right away. Um, and like going up a flight of stairs was tough. And, um, there was an outbreak recently in Canada with, uh, the Vancouver Canucks hockey team. And, um, those were a lot of the symptoms, uh, that they were kind of explaining that were kind of happening. Now that doesn't necessarily, does, do any of those kind of correlate with the post COVID syndrome or is this something purely like you have COVID and then you might recover or quote unquote recover from the first bout of it. And then it's like, it hits you all of a sudden, or could it be ongoing? Um, and just a continuation of those symptoms. I've seen it both ways. Um, and that's the problem with COVID is it's very like some people have these two symptoms and like other people have these two symptoms. Um, but so I've heard it from a few different patients that they kind of just continuously did not feel good. So they had COVID and they just never could really get rid of their fever or they couldn't get rid of their cough or they were still really fatigued and having a hard time just doing their day-to-day activities. I've also heard a few cases, which I think is not quite as common, of someone who had it kind of fully recovered and then like two or three months down the line, all of a sudden kind of had these weird symptoms pop back up. But I know it's happened. I just don't think it's as frequent as the more kind of discontinuous, like your symptoms maybe get a little bit better, but then they kind of persist and they kind of plateau and you don't, you don't get any better from there. Okay. So before we get into, um, kind of like who gets it, um, age and demographics and things like that, let's just quickly go over what symptoms we're looking at. Like, so, um, you know, there are going to be some symptoms of COVID, obviously. Um, but what are we looking at specifically for the long hauler syndrome? So that's what's also kind of tricky about this is that the there is such a variability in symptoms in the long term for people, even people who actively are diagnosed with it. It's so across the board as to what people um, are dealing with. And a lot of those extend into the phase that's considered the long hauler part two. So um, they can, as Molly had mentioned, they can fluctuate. Um, but consistently, if people are initially diagnosed with COVID and they have, you know, the list is 15 plus symptoms that are common. And then we have another additional eight plus that are very unusual and people don't totally understand that. But the most common ones, tiredness, fatigue, body aches, shortness of breath, um, like that brain fog type of feeling where you have a hard time concentrating or you're just mentally tired, difficulty exercising, consistent headache, uh, difficulty sleeping, um, the loss of taste and smell, which is an interesting one, dizziness, as you had mentioned, Brady, you were dealing with that, um, heart palpitations, chest pains, joint pains still, and then definitely some consistent depression and anxiety issues. If you start out with those, you can definitely extend those as far as 10 plus, plus months after, or it could end after two weeks and you don't even fall into the two, the um, long haulers category. I would say probably the one that tends to 
start to increase over time would probably be the depression anxiety component, um, the fear, and probably a difficulty concentrating and a change in the fatigue levels too. Of course, people are becoming concerned over time as to why am I not getting better and when will this change? And it's difficult because we don't know those answers just yet. Um, and then as you try to return to your normal activities, you can start to deal with a increase in fatigue, difficulty concentrating in a whole nother level just outside of feeling sick. Uh, so that's where things get definitely tricky in this situation. Well, that, and I just want to add too, is that um, a lot of times um, what they've been seeing is that with either mental or physical activity that the symptoms get worse. So, I mean, it's not just like, um, you know, going up and down a set of stairs that you're, you know, fatigued or short of breath. It's people are having a hard time, even like, you know, if they work at a job where they have to really use their brain that they're sitting behind a desk, you know, for two or three, and they, they are so tired they can't, they need to go take a nap. I mean, so it's, it's not just, um, physical that they're having. It's also like their, their brain is just tired. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in too, because we think that's a relatively simple thing to during, during, to do during the day, Mm -hmm. but it just really wears people out. And how do you, you know, return to that in a reasonable amount of time? Yep. And so if you've had COVID, and you're kind of prepped by your doctor, like you're gonna, you potentially might have these symptoms. These symptoms might kind of come and go. Um, when is the point when you should be concerned and you should be reaching out back, back out to your physician and saying like, "Hey, these aren't. I'm not recovering like I think I should be." It sounds like you should have a pretty good idea of like some. You'll know something's wrong. But is there like a certain time where you, you know, maybe if you're on the fence that you should seek help? I think anything after about two weeks um, okay. has been my understanding, maybe a little bit longer. But I think two weeks is kind of the, cor- the, the course of this, um, as long as you're not hospitalized. If you're hospitalized, it's different. Your recovery might be longer just because you may be put on oxygen, you may be intubated. Um, you may have secondary issues, but like if you're just, if you were diagnosed with COVID and you have fairly mild, maybe a little moderate symptoms, but you're at home, I think it's about two weeks that, you know, before you start to go, well, you know, I should be getting at least a little bit better by now. Um, and then if not, then, you know, again, reaching out to your physician and being like, Hey, you know, this is still going on, but um, interestingly enough, a lot of the doctors, so it, it wasn't really around, um, even four or five months ago, but, um, a lot of the big hospital systems now are actually, um, the, there's, there's doctors that are set to have patients that have been diagnosed with COVID come in. They're collecting data essentially. Um, but they're, they're having them come in and they're really giving them a full physical, I mean, mental, you know, all the different body systems, um, to try and figure out like why COVID, like why it, it, it's targeting some people and not others. Um, so I, we have a few patients that have, are currently being seen. I forget what they call it. It's like a post COVID center or something like that. Um, and they're, they're collecting data. They're trying to figure out, you know, is it someone that has blood pressure issues or that sort of thing? So, um, 
So is there, can you kind of maybe explain now the demographic of people that is, this is affecting mostly? And then, um, you know, if there's any differences between populations of, uh, yeah, like who's, who's getting it, um, who's experiencing maybe worse symptoms than others. Yep. So, um, the trends that we're currently seeing, and this is keeps changing because as we get more data, um, the trends are able to kind of change with it, but currently symptoms occur in, a, in people 30 to 50 years old, and then again, above 65 years old. Um, more recently, there's been more talk with the variants infecting the younger population, um, but the original kind of COVID that we all were locked down in um, tended to target that 30 to 50 and then above 65. Um, and typically those people had two to three chronic illnesses. So that could be arthritis, it could be lung disease or heart disease. Um, and then interestingly enough, 70% um, of long haulers are women. Um, but in the research studies that I was looking at, not, they're not really sure if that number is truly accurate because women tend to seek care more often for problems than men do. Um, and also women have somewhat of a different immune response. Um, so sometimes their immune response can be more heightened. Um, and that might be part of the reason that we're seeing more long haulers in the female population. Do, do you guys, I know you guys aren't immunologists or anything like mm -hmm. that, obviously, but do you, do you guys have any idea of what the, or what, why women respond differently? Is it hormonal or is it, I, that's speculation. I don't know. I, it could be. I don't think they necessarily have a great idea, but I, gotcha. I think there is some um, studies out there right now that are looking at um, like that 30 to 50 year old. It's, it's kind of like a perimenopausal time where your hormones are changing again. Um, and so they, they're thinking that the hormones may have something to do with it, um, but we just don't know. Sure. And that, that's fair. I was just curious. Um, so then I guess let's transition to how you guys kind of fit into the, um, the picture here in terms of helping treat this in terms of, um, why patients should consider seeing a physical therapist, um, that's trained in, um, this kind of syndrome to kind of help get them back to, where they were uh, pre-COVID and um, help them get back to normal? Um, so a big portion of this is trying to sort out where your impairments are lying, at least in the physical and respiratory realm, um, and that's where we fit in. There's definitely a big portion of this that comes from um, medical doctor as to like, do you have higher levels of inflammation in your body still? Do we need to have some sort of medication management of this in the same time? So we would work kind of closely with that, but we're looking at what have you lost physically over the time that you were, um, active with this disease. So a big part of that is your breathing strength and your postural control especially in someone who's been hospitalized potentially um, on a ventilator or even just in the hospital and people who are sick at home have some level of a loss in the way that their lungs are functioning. And that can correlate to um, a loss of diaphragmatic control. Um, the diaphragm is the strongest breathing muscle that we have. 
and difficulty with um, expanding our rib cage and using our spine correctly too. So when we start to lose some strength within the diaphragm, which is situated just below our lungs and just at the top of our core, um, we tend to start to compensate by using our accessor, uh, accessory breathing muscles, which are higher up in the neck, upper chest region. So we're basically trying to cheat the system to accomplish our breathing tasks, but in a very inefficient way. So our job is to figure out how do we reverse that and make your breathing more efficient and useful so you don't always feel out of breath. Um, and with a loss of diaphragmatic strength, loss of core strength, then we start to notice that posture change, the kind of slumped forwards, not being able to expand the chest, uh, mid-back starting to not move as easily as well. So that's a large component of it too, to try to kind of have an all-encompassing improvement in the way that your rib cage and chest is functioning. Um, the diaphragm also plays a big role in balance control too. So if you start to notice that you're not, um, you feel off balance, you feel like more fearful of fearful of falling. The diaphragm and the ability for you to use your core properly is a big part of that too. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into it just outside of the um, cardiovascular changes, potential GI changes, skin changes, um, cognitive changes that come along with this long-term um, condition outside of the active phase of COVID that we're trying to sort out in the physical realm too. Well, and to kind of expand on Nicole, like Nicole and I were able to take a online kind of seminar um, by Mary Mastery, and she really kind of pulled apart the importance of your diaphragm. And I guess it's one of those areas in the body that you just, I guess you kind of take it for advantage, take advantage of it um, until you don't control it that well. Mm -hmm. um, and so she kind of went through um, the different body systems and like what can occur when you have a weakened diaphragm or you're not using it properly. Um, and just, you know, really briefly, I mean, it was, um, reflux. It was like, um, pelvic like floor, pelvic like, floor. Um, bowel bladder changes. Yes. I mean, it was, it was truly kind of there's a lot eye opening to know that, you know, this one muscle <laughs> essentially really kind of controlled the rest of the body systems, um, and helps when it functions well, the rest of your body systems kind of fell in line with it. So, um, that was just a kind of an interesting thing that they really touched upon as far as you need your diaphragm working well to be able to to do pretty much everything. And it's an interesting muscle in that we don't always think about how do we strengthen it. Like, let's say we have weakened hips or biceps. We know how to use weights to strengthen that, um, but we don't always think about how do we properly strengthen our breathing muscles, and that's where um, Molly comes in with a like device that she has been trained in and has helped us figure out, too, on how to actually see marked changes in, um, the way that your diaphragm is functioning that we don't, we isn't as common. So we need to train our diaphragm. Can you kind of take me through what a session of 
improving diaphragmatic breathing would look like. Can you tell me a little bit more about that process you're talking about with the measured breathing? So um, we have a really cool, I feel like it's kind of unique. I mean, I don't know a lot of other places around here that are actually doing what we're doing. Um, But basically, um, either, you know, a therapist notices that a patient is breathing hard or having a harder time breathing, shortness of breath, um, or a doctor will send over a script saying, you know, they were hospitalized or they had COVID and they're just, they're, they're still struggling with their symptoms. You know, can you take a look? So, um, basically what we do is we will have them and we'll give them a full evaluation. Um, we do spirometry, which is like test looking at their like functional vital capacity, how much their lungs can take in and take out. Um, and we, we run that machine. We do that testing, um, you know, depending on the results, a lot of times the patients typically come over knowing that they're not in good shape to begin with. Um, from there, we have a set of exercises, you know, working on pursed lip breathing and diaphragmatic breathing and really, really trying to teach the patient how to refill their lungs. So I find that, and Nicole, you can chime in too, like a lot of the patients that I've started working with, they're, they're not able to take a deep breath. Like they fill maybe, you know, half of their lung. Um, so really kind of educating them, getting them to feel the difference of being able to really kind of get that breath down deep into their lungs and kind of clear everything up. Um, so we do that. Then um, I was lucky enough during all of this COVID kind of shutdown um, to take a course um, with this Aspire Expiratory Muscle Strength Trainer. Um, it's a basically resistive device um, that we have been using to help patients kind of retrain their diaphragm. Um, I tell them people when I try to explain to them, it's like TheraBand for your lungs, for your diaphragm. Um, and so we have been using that. Um, we progress them, you know, along the course of the way. Um, and uh, I have seen great results. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be someone that had COVID. I have a patient right now um, that did not have COVID, but just was really short of breath, had a hard time just making it through the grocery store because she, she would be out of breath and she would fatigue. Um, and within a few weeks of, of using the, the muscle trainer, um, she came back in and said, I can go throughout the whole grocery store. I'm not short of breath when she's here doing her PT. She is not, the, the therapist that usually works with her said she's not huffing and puffing anymore. I mean, so it, we're really working to kind of retrain those muscles and strengthen those muscles so that they can provide the task they're supposed to be doing. And show objective, specific improvements in it, um, especially in long haul um, COVID situations, the progress is at a snail's pace. You're looking at months of changes versus weeks. So to see even just a slight improvement in the notch, um, like the measurement notches on your breathing device is sometimes the only way that we can know that you're improving over such a long, long period of time. Yes. Um, so that really, I think that helps a lot with the motivation of continuing to. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it in our patients here that it's hard. I mean, they'll have a couple good days and then they might overdo it and their body just kind of totally regresses. And 
So it's those baby steps that are super important with the long haulers because it like it like they're called. It, they're in for the long haul. I mean, this is not one of those things where, you know, in two weeks you're going to feel back to your old self and back to doing what you're doing. These people are, um, you know, professionals that are nurses and doctors and physical therapists and um, that got COVID and, you know, months and months down the line, they're still not they're not back to doing their job or they're doing it in such a modified way because they just don't have the energy um, to get through the whole day doing what they typically had done before. So it's, it's, it's innovative care. It's innovative equipment to a certain degree. Uh, but still like the classic principles of progressive overload. Let's measure our progress. Let's be able to show that, keep us motivated, keep us on top of things, know that we're, what we're doing is working. Um, and still coming out with the goal that you're doing, but just that it might take a little bit longer than you would probably like, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Much, yeah. Much and longer. so, I mean, um, like bef- kind of before COVID got to be such a long-term <laughs> virus, um, we were, we had rolled out our post-intensive care syndrome, which is our PICS program. Um, basically it's, um, exactly what it sounds like people that have been hospitalized um tend to acquire weakness um just from being in a hospital bed depending if they're intubated or just dealing with whatever illness that they have um and we treated these post-covid long hauler patients very similarly um it's it's about building back strength it's built about building core building um endurance stability um, so that they can then get back to doing what they used to do um, with less dysfunction. And so unless there's more to add to kind of your specific roles in kind of treatment of this, what are some of the other components that still need to be addressed, but maybe uh, you're going to point them in a different direction or need other kind of a- another care team to help you with the overall treatment of this like there's that like inflammation recovery aspect of it that you're still going to need to do that necessarily you give advice on obviously but not necessarily that you would be specifically treating them for for. sure yes a big part of this would be um conversations with your primary care physician and assessment by that doctor Uh, they would be able to prescribe anti-inflammatory medications or any other potentially medications that you may need to help this process. We would also consider within your care team, potentially a referral to um, a cardiovascular specialist, a um, neuromuscular specialist, if the need arises, um, a GI specialist too, with the changes in your core system. If someone has been on bed rest for long periods of time, there's a potential for skin degradation or changes within your connective tissues. So that's a whole nother realm. Um, and then for sure, um, a analysis on if a, um, psychiatrist may be helpful for you, especially with so many life changes that are happening to these people who have such long-term, um, complications from this, definitely a way to guide that person, um, cognitively, emotionally, um, and behaviorally to, um, help that at least ease the trouble with that a little bit. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, also, um, just stress reduction. 
um, you know, it's super stressful. Your body isn't doing what you know it can do. You, you, some people are in their thirties and forties and they're in the middle of life and they feel like they should, you know, so, um, meditation, yoga, um, one of the big things that they keep stressing is just that the body really needs sleep. Like the body is trying to heal itself and it takes time. Um, but they need that restorative sleep. They need to take those naps, even though a lot of people, um, are opposed to, you know, I'm not, I'm too old to take a nap. You know, your body, your body is needing it and to kind of listen to your body and, and go with it and take care of it. When I had uh, COVID, the doctor that I saw that tested me and gave me advice and stuff like that said that the, the weird thing about COVID was the low level of inflammation of the entire respiratory system um, compared to like a specific aspect like the lungs or the esophagus or what, or not your esophagus, but um, you know, your th- throat. Um, is, is there a component to that? And is there any... I don't know, like for inflammation, people take turmeric extract or other kinds of anti-inflammatory medication. Like, is that uh, generally provided by advice provided by your doctor or is there anything else like you do do lifestyle wise or diet wise or just that's kind of out of your scope? Um, I mean, I don't know necessarily what they would prescribe, but I mean, I know the patients that I've seen with the post COVID syndrome, um, that they were put on like a heavy dose of prednisone because it's been like a systemic, um, inflammatory response. They're finding that there's like, there's, they're fine low line levels of inflammation in the brain, um, which they think might be part of the cause of that kind of brain fog, kind of lack of concentration or difficulty concentrating. Um, and they're finding, at least they're trying right now, um, to kind of attack it with like a antihistamine, anti-yeah, yeah, anti-inflammatory yeah. steroid um, to help reduce it. Now, is it helping? I don't, I don't know. That sure. it's too new to kind of really know if there was if that's the solution. Um, but I know um, people right now are on that sort of medication just to try and get their levels of uh, inflammation down within their body. All right. And so I guess kind of to wrap things up, um, just, I guess if you could just tell people where to get help, where to start, um, if they aren't obviously getting better after that two week period of having COVID symptoms and, um, you know, is it, is it right to your primary doctor? Is it a, you know, if if you have direct access in your state, is it go to a PT and have them kind of figure it out and kind of refer you on or, or what's the process that you think is best? I mean, I think it's a tricky because you, you want to, we, as a PT, as a direct access state that has PT, I want to make sure that my, the patient really doesn't have any like blood clots or, um, I know some of the patients, like they're getting, um, routine chest x-rays to make sure that there's no fibrosis or scarring, um, which is something that, you know, obviously you can't see with the naked eye. Um, I think that if there's PTs in your area that are trained to be able to do this, I think that's a safe place to start going to any PT may not, they may just not know enough. It might not be in their scope of practice to really know, um, what's going on, especially with this COVID stuff. 
Um, but the physician is always a very safe place to start. Um, it's somewhere that they can even say, you know, could, do you think PT is appropriate for me? Um, have that question ready to go, Yep. you know, to yep. your primary care provider, just saying like, Hey, I've heard about this. Yep. Is it something that I should pursue? Yep. Yep. And I think, you know, as this virus continues to go on, I think more and more places are going to have kind of like a post-COVID recovery program, um, or at least be able to point you in the right direction. I think more people are going to be more aware of treatment um, for the long haulers. Um, But I think right now, just because we still are in kind of the infancy of this virus, um, you want to make sure that you find someone that knows what what they're doing, that is going to be able to um, work with you safely. Um, You know, you can anybody can work somebody out, but especially with these long haulers, you really got to know what you're doing and you got to, you got to slowly progress them. I mean, you can, you don't want to work them out and then have them have to sleep for two days to make up for it. You want to, you want to work with them and kind of know, okay, I know they're getting close to their max, you know, this is where we're going to cut it or this, we're going to change it up and work on something different. Um, it's, it's tiring for them. And if you go to someone that just doesn't really know, what they're doing or how they should be working with you. Um, you're not going to come back. It was miserable. So, and you guys have that ability. Obviously we talked about the, the testing that you're able to do, um, cart, you know, and and be able to monitor that you guys have the tools to do that where your average personal trainer is not going to be able to do any of that. Um, and just safety wise Mm -hmm. too. So, all right. Um, for more information on long haulers, I know we have a blog up on the website at freedompt.com. So for more information, check that out. Um, and obviously, uh, fill out a contact form, give us a phone call, uh, email us at info at freedompt.com, and we can try to help answer any questions you may have, even if you're outside of our area, um, to get you to a provider that will um, help you if you're experiencing these issues or try to kind of give you some guidance one way or the other. Um, if, is there anything else that I missed? Is there anything else you guys want to say about it? I would say probably too, even if you don't fit the classic, um, consistent realm of who is getting this long, these long haul symptoms, if you're even 20 years old, um, if you feel something feels off since you were diagnosed, it's so worth it just to go talk to your doctor. It could even be something minor, but, um, it's so new that just don't push it off. Um, try to get some help now. I think that's great advice. Um, all right. Thank you guys. Thanks to Nicole Gardner. Thanks to Molly Ripberg, uh, for coming on today, uh, and giving us a little bit, uh, of a education in long hauler syndrome and, um, to let you, if you or a loved one, uh, has any of these symptoms to kind of get it checked out and take the right precautions. Cause, uh, just like Nicole said, it would be worth it. Thanks and have a great day, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, an independent provider of comprehensive physical and occupational services. No matter how challenging your issues, if other treatments have failed, we are determined to help you heal starting with the very first visit. Four convenient locations in the Milwaukee area. More information at freedompt.com.